We are just winging it. My ears are already ringing. My ears are winging and ringing. You know, we do like a quick clap to sync up the audio, and my clap was so loud that my ears are ringing. Are they? Do you really clap that loudly? I mean, they used to call me Thunderclap, and uh, that was your nickname, right? Growing up. I wonder if it's all the guitar playing. Your forearms are getting a workout. It's actually, it might be related to the guitar playing, but in a different way. Because I think my ears are just like more sensitive now. The tinnitus. um, (laughs) I really really do have, um, which by the way is tinnitus before y'all judge me for saying that. Um, I always thought it was tinnitus because that just sounds more correct. I have heard people with advanced medical degrees say tinnitus. So I'm going to say you that have? it's acceptable to say either way, all I right. think. Well, the doctors I've heard they all say, say tinnitus. 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 It sounds ridiculous, I know. It sounds wor- I I think we should use this platform that we have to officially change it to tin- Listen, everybody, it's it's <laughs> tinnitus or tinnitus or tinnitus. <gasps> Well, or tetanus, I, I, or I got my ears checked, you know, because I all of a sudden, and it was shortly after starting guitar, I, I started having the ringing in my ears. You've actually been struggling with this. And uh, I wouldn't say struggling, honestly. Well, I don't mean to make light a... of it. I didn't know this was something you were living with. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Um. So I went, this has been like a long time ago. To, well, I guess, since, let's see if I think of this in terms of my guitar journey, which has been since November of last year. Um, I, I mark it on a calendar, you know, I have, I X out the guitar month. journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It starts with the, with the metal, you know, <laughs> the metal horns. Um, but anyway, so I got my ears checked and the, the doctor was like, after they did the hearing test, he's like, you have the best hearing I've seen of anyone under, you know, under like 50 or something. Um, how did really? it? Yeah. The thing is the only people who see him are people who have issues, right? So, right. like, I'm not sure how high of a bar that is. But that's still, I mean, he sees a lot of, well, he, you know, witnesses a lot of people's hearing skills, and that's a big deal. I, it was, you know? yeah. I, I actually was surprised by that because, you know, I'm often having Bethany repeat things, so now it's it's clear to me that it is indeed selective hearing and not, you know, my ears um, or lack of uh, hearing ability. <laughs> yeah, he kind of messed up your alibi there, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's got the proof now. But anyway, so... The ringing happened. It actually, I can't tell how much of it I've just accommodated and I don't notice it anymore and how much of it is like it actually has gotten better. But occasionally with something like a clap or a loud, um, you know, playing on the guitar or whatever, it'll it'll pop in. So Really? Do you, do you know what pitch it is? Have you identified that yet? No, but maybe I should have you help me do you that. Should, you should, yeah. Do you like a pitchometer where, you know, you play different pitches? And I, you if you isolate. sing it for me, I can tell you what it is. If I sing it? I don't yeah. know what it is. Will you whistle it? No, is it not going? Zero. It's not going right now. I have zero grasp. Oh, you mean okay? So you mean identify the pitch of the of the um, of the ringing? Yeah, I can't hear it right now. Oh, you can't. Okay. Well, maybe we can change that by the end of this episode. I'm going to find some opportunities to, to just, scream <laughs> to just you know? have an hour of me trying to sing back to you the pitching that I you know for us to identify. That would be a whole episode. How entertaining would that be? People would be on the edge <laughs> of their seat, and I'm just here going wing the entire time to be trying fair, to get your ears may, to break. They may enjoy that more than our actual conversations. That's true. People don't like talking about emotional intelligence, John. Hey, I have a I have a classic just winging it story to share. I think that would be a better a better fit than my story about tinnitus, so please yeah, go. Yeah, which still sounds wrong. And again, John, we have officially decided I have on this podcast that it's tinnitus. I, I that we are a medical show. All right, fine. I tinnitus just I'm asking you to embrace the brand of just ringing it. Ah, and it is gonna be no. Anyway, so 
uh, you know, I feel like lately I've been talking a lot about uh, clothes because, you know, we've been wearing sweatpants for so long and we have been very, jumbo you know, suit, of course, and jumbo, the, the gigantic blimp suit that I got Jeff off of Amazon. Suit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which sent him into space. Um, and easily could have served as the vessel that did it because it was capacious enough to do so. I was so. just going to say, it could have been like the parachute that drops you off. You know <laughs> what I mean? The parachute when it touches <laughs> down again. Because, of course, his parachute would be a fucking cheap ass pair of Amazon it, yeah, you know, suits. Generic brand Amazon <laughs> suit. Um, so oh, that was, God. you know, about two months ago. And, and we yeah. had another wedding coming up this last weekend, which was also in the far reaches of upstate New York. I don't know what's going on with that, but the, the only weddings we go to anymore are apparently in the fucking you Finger Lakes region. You had to take a space shuttle to get there. We did. But at least we had a parachute. That's true. So for this one, you know, I was like, at least I got through the pain in the ass experience of getting a suit last time, yeah. you know, which people might remember from a couple of months ago. So I had this, you know, sport coat. I had some nice pants. I had a nice dress shirt that went with it. It fit fine. It was a challenge because my body is strangely shaped, so nothing fit right. But I got one that actually fit, and I was feeling pretty good about it. Like three days before this wedding, John, we get an email. Okay, maybe it was like two weeks before this wedding. It was close to the wedding that says, just so you guys know, the tea party the next day is going to be casual because we're getting so dressed up for the wedding. And I'm like, did I miss Did I miss something in one of party. these? Yeah. First off, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to this tea party. But was second this, off... Was this a wedding of, like, dolls? Like, what is this? I know. Well, the, so the wedding was... It was a, a, somebody that I was very good friends with 12 years ago who then moved to the West Coast, to mm-hmm. San Francisco, and we have texted twice per year since then. <laughs> He's somebody that I still consider a friend, but we've kind of lost touch, you know. Uh, but when he got engaged to his now wife, he was like, I want you guys to be at the wedding. And I was like, that sounds great. It's a chance to like see each other again. But you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know. I mean, 12 years is a lot of time, right? Oh yeah. Um, and so I was like, I must've missed something because if they're making an announcement about casual wear the next day, then there's probably some announcement I missed about the wedding. The wedding announcement said you need a tuxedo or a formal black sport, you know, a, a formal black suit. So your bright orange suit just wasn't going to cut it. My prison jumpsuit that I wore to the last (laughs) one. Yeah, that's what it was with the spray paint on the back. No, but okay. uh, So so it had to be a tuxedo, which could be any color, by the way. It could be orange. Or, or, or it had to be specifically a black blazer. Like what you would wear as a groomsman to a wedding. Like of a course, black, yes. like a, bla- not blazer, like a and black And what color was suit. the one that you just, I wasn't listening to that detail in the last It episode. was like tweed. It was like a cool, you know, sport coat that looks nice, but it's yeah. like a summer sport coat, you know, okay, with, okay. with khakis. Shit. I.e. not what they had apparently asked us to wear uh. in this wedding. So I'm like, oh my God. Well, I do at least have a tuxedo for my singing career, but just to paint you a picture, this tuxedo has fucking tails that go down to my knees and, you know, a red well, vest and a bow tie. But I It's a mean, little much. It's a little you know. much, but at the same time, this wedding sounds like it's a little much. It does. It does. There's a tea party. So, so uh, I think the coattails would have fit in, but go ahead. Maybe. But also this tux is, is from, it's from 10 years ago, and I have been gradually outgrowing it for a long time. This was just not, this tux was not going to make it to the wedding. It's from when so you like, were 12 years old. <laughs> like when I got my first tux with tails. Yeah. It's like, at least, you know, I'm going to uh, not wear that. I'm going to get a nice suit, going to get a rental, which I never do. And, you know, I look up but rental that makes places sense, near me. Yeah, at that point. Right. There's not going to be this many other, you know, super formal weddings. And plus, like, you know, I'll hopefully lose some weight for the next one. So you know, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and so I, I found this place in uh, in a town near us that I had never been to before. But it's one of these like old, you know, old school haberdashers that I, I feel like they 
they treat you like shit as like a brand thing. I don't know if you've had this experience. As soon as you said it, all I could picture is you um, going up to the door. The door's already locked. Like they don't, they didn't even lock it. Yeah. There's just this really old dude in there, you know, just measuring a pair of pants or something. Right. And he just gives you the one minute sign, right? Doesn't rush to the door. Um, and then casually walks over, you know, a couple minutes later and lets you in. And that, that paints the picture of, of the sort of, uh, interaction you're going to have with that person. Everything was accurate except for it wasn't locked. I I think had he, had he had a chance to, he might've locked it. But, but what what happens is I walk in, there's this old Italian man in the back of the place who clearly is not in a hurry to help me. He looks up, sees what I'm assuming is my body type and literally grunts to himself. He looks down and goes, (laughs) Like that. So he, I'm goes, like, Great. he goes, did you try Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> it's a parachute pants. So I'm walking up and, and he's like, what can I help you with? And I was like, hey, you know, I'm looking for a suit rental for a wedding. He's like, okay, good. When is the wedding? I'm like, yeah, it's it's tomorrow. He's like, what are you talking about? You come in here one day before a wedding? They told you more than a day before this, right? And I was like, I kind of, but there was an email. He's like, I'm not talking about an email. I'm talking about a wedding. Who goes to a wedding without a suit? There's no left. I got the whole showroom. There's nothing out here going to fit you. So I'm like, oh my God. Wow. You're, I mean, you've become this person. At this point, I'm not, I'm not totally convinced it was a different person. Um, and that you just had like a fight club moment where you became all of a sudden you own a fucking tuxedo shop. <laughs> I'm fighting with myself in a tux shop. Yeah. Cause that no, was, this guy, was that good. Your impression. He was so exasperated. I- I'm telling you. And, and also, you know, we had masks on, he had a thick accent. I was having a hard time <laughs> understanding him. He was not happy about repeating himself. So, so I'm like, well, it's, it's tomorrow. You, and he's like, but it's like one of those things where you, it's not like you go somewhere else. Really? I mean, at this yeah, point, it's right? the only store near and us that has that. suit yeah, rentals yeah, yeah. and there's two hours before they close. Listen, I'm so last minute on this like i i own that 100 percent. this was clearly my fault but you know whatever i'm not I, I i there's nothing to say other than it's my fault <laughs> but uh so you know he's like try this on i go try it on you know i'm like in the dressing room he's like grumbling about this like fucking audibly you know an over back in his corner of the place <laughs> i come out carrying my other clothes because i don't want to leave him in his, in his dressing room and he's like what do you think someone gonna steal it what do you think this kind of place is you leave it in the room I'm like, God damn it. Just be nice to me for a second. And he's looking at me and he's literally shaking his head. He's like, oh, he's like so fucking angry that he has to do this. Were you like, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, how you were in that moment as well. Like, was your lip? Do you want to know how I was in that moment? I just, I want to, what I'm imagining is like your, your lip is kind of quivering as you're talking and you're like about to start just crying. No, this is how I was. I walked out and I saw myself in the mirror and I said, I look pretty damn good. All right. And then this guy is like literally crying about how shitty I look in the suit that he just picked out for me. So anyway, it was just very, very intense experience, you know, and, and he was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll work on this all night. I'm going to do right by you. But you have to tell me one thing. What color dress your wife going to wear tomorrow? And I was like, oh, my fucking God, I don't know what she's going to wear tomorrow. And he's like, what? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, I do not know what your wife wear to a wedding. You talk to each other. You need a divorce attorney, not a tailor. He's so mad at me about this. Meanwhile, oh Micah, my God. you know, this for guy her. Sounds awesome. See, the thing is with someone like that, you know, because myself being at least partially from that region of the world, Greece, but, you know, similar passions right, or whatever, right, supposedly. Right. Mediterranean. Yeah, I think it's just a. Uh, I, you know, I remember to like when my grandfather would like go to buy something, right? And he'd get into like a fucking argument with the retailer. They'd be like at each other's throats 
Oh yeah. And then they'd be like totally fine. And then they're it's fine. Just, yeah. It's just like a you know a little passionate uh, interaction. Right. And that's why I wasn't emotional. I mean, I grew up in an Italian fit. Like all all of my Italian uncles were screaming at each other all the time. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, part yeah. of the vibe. It's part of the I brand, love it. Right. And it's I, I totally get that. I haven't been around that in a while. I also was stressed <laughs> out about getting a suit that fit. And also the yelling was happening because I looked like shit in a fucking formal outfit. So like you know it was a and different you didn't vibe know what to that. Your wife was wearing. To and the I didn't know. So Shame listen to this. On you. Later that night, I'm like, Micah, what dress are you actually wearing? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, at least I didn't drop the ball on that. But this guy was so flabbergasted that I wouldn't know. And he's like, how you going to know what kind of die? How you going to know what kind of vest? What the fuck is wrong with you? He's so mad about it. So he's like, listen to me. Listen to me. You come back tomorrow. I'll stay up all night. I'll fix this suit. I'll make it work. And I'm like, he's like, what time are you leaving? I'm like, uh, six, six in the morning. And he's like, ah! Fuck, I can picture him jumping out a window and killing himself. <laughs> so he was like, this has to happen and yet, tonight. And yet the best thing, and you know, about this story is that despite how upset he was, or at least, you know, yeah. uh, suicidal. Seems, yeah. Yes. But that even still, right. He was like all in, right? He like, yes. he, you walk out the door, he puts the clothes sign up and he just fucking gets to work all yes. night. You know, he puts non-stop. his accountant hat on with the green visor. He's got right? the Picture. cigarette coming out of his mouth. Double cigars. No yeah. food. He just no. nonstop. He's stitching. He's for, working all for, night from nothing. This boy with the body type of a fucking Aztec <laughs> ziggurat, you know? Uh, so oh anyway, so, so long story short, he does pull through for me. Um, the suit is done and it's ready for pickup that and night. You, I, that night, that night, he did do it. No, I gotta say, I, 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 I hesitate to say what the name of this place was because I've just been shitting on them. But they That's did, true. they did pull through. But I, I have to say that when he called me to tell me it was ready, he quoted Jesus dying on the cross. <laughs> he just said his words were just, "It is finished," and then he hung up. <laughs> Literally just said, "It's finished." Uh, which I think speaks oh to his mental God. state. So I go to pick it up. Of course, he's not there anymore. You know, like the, it's closing and like yeah, the other guy the that runs gotta it. guy's got to get some sleep. Yeah. The, this, and this guy's long gone, you know, and I was like, hey, I just want, you know, I was talking to the guy that owns the place, you know, his other employer. I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, Paul really pulled through for me. You know, I really appreciate it. And he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like he knew that Paul was being a fucking asshole to me. And then I go to drop it off on Monday and I'm like all ready to see Paul again and to tell him like how proud I was and how like, you know, you really pulled through. And he wasn't he didn't like show up to work. So it's just the other guy in the store. He, he expelled so much energy yeah. on creating that suit that he's just out for a week. You yeah. Know? In, in my head canon right now, he has left the suit business and he is just <laughs> making Stromboli somewhere, you know, just enjoying his life on Long Island or something, you know, just like far but away still from tells, this place. You know, every now and then he'll He'll just like tell his wife this story about this crazy asshole who didn't even know what his wife was wearing. Right. And showed up the day before the wedding. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, Paul. You know, crazier things have happened to a guy, you know, in a tuxedo shop. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I gave him a nice tip. I got it back on time. Uh, it turns and out. How did it look? Uh, like okay, it looked it looked fine. I mean, I mean, it, it looked like middle aged man, generic. You know, like it, what I happened know, is rentals, I looked like I was in yeah. a mafia. Is yeah, what it, like yeah, I, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. suits. When I wear suits, I either look pretty good, like in, like in our wedding, I had a nice tailored tux, you know. Yeah. Or or I look like a mob boss for some reason. It just goes between those two things. This was definitely the mob boss end of the spectrum. So you know, it could have could have been better, could have been worse. But uh, you know, let's just say that the parking was free when we got there because uh, uh... you don't want to cross me, you know. Yeah, it was fun. It was I'm it was sure. good. It was a great wedding. It was great to see our old friends again, and you know we had a we had a really good time. And uh, and now How we're was back. The tea party, the tea. We didn't go to the tea party. 
Yeah, fuck that tea we party. We left before the tea party. We also left before the dancing because the wedding was outside. You it was left beautiful. Before the dancing. We did, I know. And this is very off brand for me. I was going to say, I mean, I could see myself doing that. Yeah. But, um, oh, no. I'm always the last person. I'm always the person dancing yeah. until I'm getting dragged off by usually the police at the end of the wedding. Um, <laughs> for this, so I was like. You know, we were outside. It was great. We had the whole ceremony out there. And these are all strangers except for the, the two friends that we drove Which, up from New York City with. To be fair, I feel like some of the most fun I've had at weddings are is in this situation where it's like we only know the bride and groom and maybe not right. even super well. You know, and so you're just like, you can be whoever you want to be. It's carte blanche. You can be, you know, anybody you want to be. The problem, though, is COVID kind of damps the fun out of that because you're also like, these people could all be, you know, spreading to that disease is very right true. now. We oh, absolutely. And so, you know, it was all outside. It was great. Cocktail hour was wonderful. It was outside by this beautiful river. It was really nice. And then, like, the dinner was inside. And we're like, oh, fuck, you know. So uh, we, we stayed and we ate. And then we're like, okay, we're going to, like, you know, hedge yeah. our bets and, like, leave before the dancing starts. And people are, like, huffing and puffing all over each other. But it, uh, it worked out great. It was nice to see people again. And again, I know I am trying to soak up this social time now because it's getting colder out. And last time was pretty tough. And so when we have these opportunities to drive seven hours to the Finger Lakes to see people, you know, I'm going to take it while we can. I hear you. Absolutely. We're still in this, um, you know, moment of having some social time and being okay with that. And uh, yeah, it's still being nice out. So we can still do lots of stuff outdoors. It is nice out. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and we we had a wedding. We went to a wedding similar in terms of us. It was someone that Bethany used to work with. And so we didn't know. Uh, we didn't even know the you know the bride or or um, most of the people who were there, but um, it was so much fun and and it was like in that small window we had where things were looking better for and, six days yeah yeah exactly and so we we didn't wear a mask and you know it was inside uh, the at least the reception was inside of course the whole time we're still like this feels wrong I hope this isn't gonna be a super spreader event <laughs> right um, and thankfully it wasn't but you know. We are where we're at now. Just one house. So, yeah, I mean, we're also now in the beginning of this new school year that we talked about in our last episode. Um, and, you know, a topic that I'm really, I'm looking forward to digging into and maybe may even be a multi-episode kind of thing um, is around emotional intelligence. Um, why don't you introduce this one? Because it was actually your idea and um, y- you should do that. <laughs> it was my idea, Mr. John. Uh, this is a topic that has come up, especially lately, I think more than usual. Uh, and I think it's especially useful for us at the moment because our kids are back to school. You know, it's, an, it's a new environment. It's, we're also dealing with our own emotional anxieties about just life and trying to navigate all the crazy changes going on in the world. And uh, it seems like a good time to talk about some tools out there to help address that and to help our kids to be better equipped to deal with this world that's clearly only getting crazier as we get older. Um, we had a really great uh, session at our male identified or men identified uh, work group at work last week where we talked, which John and I, and I are both part of. Sebastian, who's been on the show, is the guy who started that's it. Right, yeah. It's a great time just to talk about like issues that affect men and male identified people and to talk about, you know, masculinity and talk about how we can show up better and also to it's kind of like a safe space to talk about some of the difficult things about being, you know, men and, and men identified in the world. And uh, one of the sessions we had last week or two weeks ago was about emotional intelligence. And it was talking about the work of this guy, Dr. Mark Brackett, who is based at Yale University, which is very close to where we live now. And hopefully we'll get somebody from this center on at some point. I would really love that. And uh, his work and his team's work is centering on um, 
emotional intelligence in children and companies and how to how to use this to be more productive and happier and how to be more equipped to do things like you know counter bullying to counter uh, violence in schools and it all kind of comes back to this idea that if you can understand and articulate your emotions you can move through them together and that the emotions one person feels aren't an island they're very much impacted by the emotions other people around them feel and if we can address mm. that systematically we're better equipped to uh to to deal with it so before we get into that a little bit i figured i'd read a, a little bit of uh, his a transcript from a video interview that he did if that's good to kind of set us up with this Look whole at idea you reading a transcript i know i, I don't want to get yelled at to, anymore you folks know? we're getting back to actually being a show that covers important uh hard-hitting topics Hard hitting journalism. Here we go. Are, you, are your ears Let's ringing yet? Did that did that get the tinnitus going? <laughs> it did not. It the did tinnitus? not get the no. tinnitus. No, no tetanus. No, no tetanus. So, uh, so in this interview with which was a PBS thing, which I'm sure we'll link to in the show notes of the I think uh, it was CNN but yes. website. Was it CNN? I don't know what I'm talking about. No, it's not PBS.org. Oh, is it okay? Amanpour though, wasn't it with? Um, yeah, Christian Amanpour. Yeah, isn't she? Who's been on both CNN? CBS and and PBS or CNN and PBS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. CBS, right. Nickelodeon. Sponsor, thank you. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Now I have to say that because I scrolled up to make sure I was on the right <laughs> network, I've lost my spot. So and you're now gonna have it's going to be. Me a second. There's a paywall in front of it, so you can't read it again. Yeah, How I have to, op- I have to open a private that? window. Okay, here we go. So he says, "This is Dr. Mark Brackett." We say emotional intelligence as a set of skills that help us to use our emotions wisely. So it starts off with recognizing emotions. Am I aware of how I'm feeling? Am I aware of how you're feeling? And then the question is, do I know where that feeling came from? Is it what I said? Is it what I did? Is it from a memory? What is causing my feelings? The third is, what is the exact feeling? What is the precise word? For example, in the angry category, am I peeved? Am I angry? Am I enraged? In the sad family, am I down? Am I disappointed? Am I hopeless? And in the happy family, am I content? Or am I happy? Or am I ecstatic? That's the first set of skills. We call it the rule, R-U-L, of ruler, which we'll talk about in a second, which helps us to make meaning out of our own and other people's emotional lives. And then we have the E and the R, which is expressing and regulating emotion. It has to do with what we do with our feelings. So do I have the permission to be my authentic, true self with you? Can I express my feelings at home, at school, at work? Uh, and... Then uh, the big one is regulation. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. What are the strategies that I use to prevent unwanted feelings, to reduce the difficult ones, or even to create the ones that I don't want to have, or sorry, even to create the ones that I don't want to have in life? So RULER, R-U-L-E-R, stands for recognizing emotions in self and others, understanding the causes and consequences of emotions, labeling emotions accurately, expressing emotions appropriately and regulating emotions effectively. Mm. So all that being said, John, what were your thoughts when you were listening to this interview and reading about it? My first thought is that I appreciate acronyms that are words like ruler that you can use to remember uh, these kinds of things, but there are far too many letters in that one. And I've already forgotten, you know, you gotta, you gotta pick three letter words to, yeah. to really remember, but that's okay. Um, no, that aside, <clears throat> you know, what this, what, what the things that stick out to me are, you know, and I guess it is that abbreviated version of the of the acronym. It's that we acknowledge our feelings, right? Uh, and I think understand was another one. Um, so I don't know how how the acknowledge fits into the word ruler, but that's okay. Um, and then and then you know express and regulate, right? So I think that it's interesting as I thought about this one more. You know, I've I've always kind of thought myself to be someone who has um, 
a fair degree of emotional intelligence. You know, I'm not by any stretch saying that I'm like, I rank high necessarily, but like, I think I'm someone who is aware of emotions and I have become more aware, um, especially through the practice of mindfulness, right? I mean, meditation, um, it's all about the idea that we, we sort of check in with ourselves, right? And, and don't judge those feelings, but acknowledge them, right? And that he draws a very specific point around this notion that you are a scientist versus a judge, right? That you are curious about your feelings. And that very much reminded me of, um, you know, some things I've learned in the, in the practice of mindfulness. And I really appreciate because, man, do we judge ourselves? You know, I mean, we judge others. We've actually, we've had a whole topic about that on this show a long time ago, um, especially as parents, but you know, how much do we judge ourselves? It's just constant. Right. I mean, and, and I get it. Like we're, I, I suppose in some ways, um, that is a regulator because we're judging ourselves compared to others. And it's this constant sort of assessment of our performance as a human being. And yet I, I think that we're not, we're not very kind to ourselves, right? So giving ourselves the space to feel and then not judging that, but actually being curious and understanding it. It's, it's easier said than done, I guess is, is one big takeaway for me. And, and I'll stop there and let you speak too, because there's a lot on this one and I'm really um, looking forward to digging deeper into it and how we parent with this in mind. Totally. I think that the mindfulness connections are all over this. And for, for me too, it re- reminds me of a lot of conversations that we've had. Right. A lot of the things that I've mentioned in the, in the context of Buddhism and Thich Nhat We might as well be like teaching that. at Yale. We are, I think basically we are yeah. doctors teaching it. And Yale. you're like right next door <laughs> to it. Ears. So, right. Yeah, it's basically the same. Thing. The this campus. is officially the Yale podcast. Welcome, uh, Eli, <laughs> Eli Yale. Um, so there, there's a reason though, John, why they're, the first R is recognizing and the last R is regulating. Yes. Right? Yes. Regulating is definitely part of it, as you said, but a lot of other things should happen before and that. And so much focus goes on regulating before any of the others, right? Right. And, and that's a good point to call out, yes. Because in children, for example, spoiler alert, I was, I had a hard time, uh, you know, staying still in class when I was a kid. I had a hard time not speaking out of turn. I, a lot of the time, had a little bit too much energy throughout the day that would kind of build up and then it would, you know, I would act out when I got home and I would be kind of a, a handful for my family, you know, and, and a lot of that came from this idea that my behavior and the way that I was feeling emotionally in the classroom throughout the day was labeled as, you know, it was regulated without being recognized for, mm. you know, the fact that maybe that was just the way that I am. Maybe that's just the way that I learn. And, uh, and you know, it doesn't mean that I'm inherently bad. And it also doesn't mean that I'm upset, right? If I'm just energetic, it doesn't mean that I'm like angry and agitated, right? But, right. but because, you know, it was dealt with immediately, like it was, you know, you get five minutes on the wall, you have to go stand outside during recess and, and turn regulate away from kids. it in a way that is probably not productive or healthy. I'm not sure what the right word is to use. There, right. But, that's but it's just immediately a judgment is made that you are not fitting in with what we're trying to do. So you're just wrong. And that is so not acceptable behavior. Right, right. Right. Which again, regulation isn't a bad thing. Like in the scheme of things, that's right. It is it's bad important. to be disruptive. Mm-hmm. It, you should mm-hmm. learn that. But a five or six year old doesn't have the emotional tool set to understand that yet. And when you're in an environment where a teacher doesn't have the emotional tool set to recognize that and talk to you about it, just to punish you for it, it, it sets up a lot of issues for people as they oh, grow man. up. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so it's something that I have tried to do a lot more through mindfulness and meditation and through 
things like this, is to learn that there's a number of things that have to happen before I regulate. Because a lot of the time, we're regulating what we think we perceive as opposed to what's actually going on, right? Yes. A lot of the time, I find that I personally... I'm kind of on autopilot emotionally throughout the day. I'm feeling something and then being affected by it. And a lot of the time, I'm not even aware of that. It's just coming out in the snippiness that I have at people, or it's coming out in the fact that I'm laughing more than I usually would at a joke. It comes out in ways where I'm like just sort of passively responding to the way that I'm feeling and basically being controlled by it because Mm. I, I don't have any language to interface with it, right? Yes. Mindfulness and this ruler emotional intelligence technique teaches us that we actually can throughout the day check in with ourselves and identify actually what we're feeling, which isn't just a blanket statement of anger or joy. It's a specific thing that's a specific way that we're navigating the world in that moment. And by calling attention to it in ourselves, we exercise some legitimate control over it. We say, okay, I see you now. I know who you are, you know, as opposed to just being, you know, barreling along. Oh my God. I think you're spot on. I think what you're describing and the that sort of autopilot mode is the default for most people, right? And I would I would count myself in there as well, even though I, you know, I, I like I said, I I thought at least before I read all of this that I had a good degree of emotional intelligence in in the at least in so much as I didn't I, I'm not as quick to judge as I might have uh, used to be, right? Uh, um, and I, you know, I think I ask myself more that question just mentally, not out loud, because that might get weird. Um, how I'm feeling, right? So, like, I think maybe this com- this came up on a podcast uh, episode. I'm sure it did before, where I re- I remember, you know, I can recall very specific instances. Let's say it's working on a home repair and something isn't going right, which is every fucking home repair, right? And just getting so frustrated, right? And and the f bombs are coming out, and I'm just like very I'm mad, and um I I I lost control, and that that would happen, right? And it's frustrating and you especially um you know there's layers of guilt and other feelings when you're doing that in front of kids and i've noticed in myself over the years that simply by acknowledging how i'm starting to feel before i get to that point like my body you know like oh i'm i'm i feel tense um all it takes is sometimes acknowledging to sort of soften that right because you're suddenly aware of a feeling you're not trying to, you know, we get tripped up, tripped up, I think, on this idea of control and what it needs to be and even the idea of regulation, in my, at least I think, because, you know, that often um, is conceived of as like a hard control, like, okay, stop doing that. Um, and, and, you know, we should segue to how this applies to kids because that, oh my God, is where it really comes into play, you know, where we just try to stop behavior. Um, but even in ourselves, you know, this idea of acknowledging with curiosity as a first step, I think is just so important. And I think the other piece of what you just said that's so important that I'm coming away with a takeaway that I want to work on is being specific. Because, you know, for me, a lot of times it would translate simply as like, how am I feeling? And it's sort of just this good, bad, it's this quick judgment of how you're feeling without any sort of deep inquiry. And Although I, I would think, say that even just yeah. that, I think, is more than most people do. Honestly, John, I think. Well, even, I think that's true. <laughs> even just that very binary thing. I think most of us and myself included in this don't even think about how we're feeling. So that is good in and of itself, although it's a true, first step. True, true. No, you're right. Absolutely. It is. Uh, but and that's a first step. And I, lo- I love this idea of then trying to go deeper in a curious way. Right. Like, what's that about? You know, uh, I know ne- I don't go that I don't go that far. 
and it takes a lot to maybe even remind yourself in the middle of a day or, or, you know, especially if you're not feeling good, right? It's easier probably when you're feeling good, although maybe you've taken for granted more um, to ask that. But I just love this concept. And, and of course, by doing this ourselves, we're going to set ourselves up better as parents, right? Because, I mean, certainly that is a theme in this show that, you know, the best way to parent is really to model the behavior that we want to see in our children. And, um yeah, I'll pause there because I've just now said a lot too. But, you know, I think how we sort of translate this to our kids is um, deeply currently flawed as a society. And, and that um, I'm, I'm excited to apply some of this there too. Yeah, me too. I want to get to that momentarily, but I just want to circle back to what you were saying about the scientist versus the judge for a second, because yeah. that I, I think deserves a, a, a little bit more attention because it's something that I basically always mess up in my life with myself and with my kids and with my wife and with my friends. I very frequently have a judgment about the way somebody is acting or feeling in the moment, right? Mm. And then it's later I look back and I go, oh, you know what? He was probably upset about this other thing that happened and he might not have even realized it himself, but that's probably what it was. You know, I probably shouldn't have escalated that situation, right? Or, oh, you know, he was probably or she was probably, uh, you know, angry at something that I had done without realizing it and forgotten about and never actually circled back to apologize for. So it wasn't my fault, but I was a part of the process mm. of them feeling that way. And I should help to help them to navigate their way out of it. Um, you know, there's this great notion in science. Part of why science, I think, is such a beautiful pursuit is that it's you know, you're kind of trying to prove yourself wrong all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like a lot of it is you form a hypothesis based on whatever you have, right? And then you basically prove that hypothesis wrong as rigorously as you can. And it's not until you can't prove it wrong anymore that you say, okay, this is true. This is a proof. This is a theorem now, right? I think that so much of our lives uh, is lived unscientifically. It's lived by the seat of our pants every day. Yes. I say that as somebody who, you know, literally was by the seat of my pants just last week getting a suit at the last minute. Like, I, I'm not, this is, again, not a judgment. I know what this feels like. We're overwhelmed all the time. But emotionally speaking, if we can take the time to be curious and to form a hypothesis and to test it, right, that's great. As opposed to, like, for example, three or four days ago, I was just really grumpy. And I, I truly was, I was not checking in with myself. I didn't know why I was, but I was like yelling at the kids about random things. I was just an asshole. And, um, and then I got something to eat and I, and I, and I was like, oh, I guess I was just hungry. That <laughs> isn't enough, right? That feeling of like, oh, now I'm fine. You know, I did something external and it made me feel better, right? That's not enough. It's plumbing like what's actually going on with ourselves and why are we not equipped well enough when we are hungry to like chill the fuck out for a second and call attention to it. It's that kind of emotional plumbing that I think we need to be better about recognizing and then also being okay with not changing it because you're not forming a judgment, right? If you can't regulate it successfully, there's all these other things you can do on the way before regulation that are really valid, right? Whether it's, you know, understanding what you're talking about, labeling it appropriately, et cetera. There's, there's a lot of things you can do. And then if you can't regulate it, that's okay. You still did all this other stuff and you probably will be better at regulating it anyway by the time you get through the process. Going back to kids though, you know, I, I look back at teachers that I've had who have meant a lot to me in my mm -hmm. life. There's been, there's been a number of them, right? They, how much they meant to me had nothing to do or at least very little to do with how expert they were at what they were <laughs> yes, teaching. Absolutely, right? absolutely. It's not like we need a Nobel Prize laureate to come in and teach us earth science, right? Like the great teachers are teachers who understand emotionally where the kids are 
and don't teach at them, right? Like everybody always says, oh, you know, he's just reading the book. Like this, this teacher sucks, right? That's true. But the reality is, is most people are basically teaching the book. Like there's a curriculum that you have set that you have to get through. So you, that you is know, true. that's yeah. true, right? But when you say like teaching the book at somebody as opposed to teaching the students, it's responsive. You're seeing yeah. what's working and what's not working. You're paying attention to their eye contact. You're paying attention to, you know, if a kid is on their phone to not just like automatically being angry about that and blaming the kid for it, but taking some responsibility and being like, maybe I'm not emotionally as connected to this student as I could be. Maybe I should talk to them about that. Maybe I should ask them how they're feeling or like ask them about how their life is going outside of this one class so that I can understand better when they're in the class, how things are resonating with them. In my life, the best teachers I've had have made me feel very seen, not for being a great student or being super talented or something. They made me feel seen as just a person navigating my life who's sharing that moment with them as a student and having a real dialogue there. And so as parents, like I think when it's going well, it's because we're teaching the ways that those teachers teach. We're really aware of and curious about the emotional lives of our kids, just as their emotion, you know, the emotional lives of students would be. And yeah. then we can teach to that as opposed to just this blanket notion where we're teaching from the book. Here's right. Here's wrong. You know, I'll spank you if you're late to something. You know, you look like shit in that outfit. You should lose weight, right? Like there's, there's, there's all these things that we do where we kind of teach by the book without realizing it. And I think if we can get away from that, we're way happier as parents. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree. You know, the hard part is, the, of course, putting this stuff in practice because the default mode um, and the society, the sort of pressures that we feel, you know, have us conforming to a mode that I think we know is is dysfunctional, right? And And trying to really take the shortest path to, you know, ending unwanted behavior. <laughs> um, right. And... I think at no time is that more difficult as a parent than um, than the uh, wow I just had the word and now it's escaped me entirely <laughs> tinnitus tinnitus the tinnitus yes that's exactly yeah, it that's what I thought the meltdown um, is what I meant so because that's a moment where especially if you're in public where they have lost control right so clearly and you're feeling yourself the uh, you know, your own sort of parenting and, and, and the, you're putting, I think, judgment on yourself to some extent, like, <laughs> how have I created a kid that is melting down because I said no to them buying that candy bar just now, right? It's in a store, you know, this is like obviously a very real example um, that happens to all of us, right? Kids want something when you're out and you, and they, and you say no and they have a meltdown. And you look um, around and every other kid is fine and every other parent seems well-adjusted and you're and like, what's like, wrong with me and my kid right now? Especially because, you know, you and I and many of us, we have kids who have so fucking much, right? And we work at a place where we're very aware of the fact that so many children around the world, um, they don't have even just the bare necessities of life. And so naturally we get frustrated, you know, like I have a whiny kid who is spoiled and is, you know, who is throwing a meltdown because they can't get another fucking chocolate or whatever. And, and I, and that logically, of course, you know, that's not untrue, <laughs> but, um, you know, the whole point here is that are we, are we really being that emotional scientist? Are we helping our kids be that right? So if we're quickly swooping in to say, this is unacceptable um, you know, we might, we might ignore it. We might walk away or we might sort of just, um, try to get the kid to stop in some way, forcibly maybe even. And 
it's tough. It's really tough to deal with that in the moment, you know? So it's hard for me to even imagine using some of these practices, frankly, um, in a moment like that, because when I've tried in a meltdown moment with grace, I've talked about this on the show, uh, in terms of trying to have her focus on her breathing. Right. Or, or, you know, Janet Lansbury, um, who has some great parenting materials out there talks about sort of acknowledging, you know, I think you're upset because you can't have this candy bar and you really wanted it, you know, and I think that that makes sense to me that you would acknowledge, right? And that's come straight from what we're talking about here. Um, but then where does it go? You know, because for me, when I try that, it often, it, I don't know, I maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way because it's not getting that immediate kind of response that you want it to. Um, but it's it's really tough and i guess i just want to acknowledge you know the meltdown as sort of like the <laughs> the pinnacle here of like how do you deal with that right it's a pressure cooker situation yes right? yes when you're at home you can talk through emotions all you want you can deal with it because you know nobody's going to listen and you're not going to feel judged but when you're in public at a store and this is happening there's all these other societal things going on and they're informing this and there's embarrassment as a very real aspect of it and i guess what i would say though is what is actually the worst that could happen right the temper tantrum just keeps going yeah that's basically the worst right how many times in your life have you been in a store and there's been a kid having a temper tantrum yeah no totally I mean, it happens all the time right I so think i guess maybe I'm, to answer that question sincerely though i think that for us, the worst is that Grace responds or, you know, this happened with any kid, but I'm using Grace right now as the example, obviously, <laughs> her being my kid, um, starts physically like hitting as a result of it, which is another thing that she still does. Um, and, you know, obviously that that feels like it crosses the line in terms of what we can accept. And so we obviously, you know, hold her hands or do something that restrains her from doing that. But like, you know, yeah, that's... <laughs> That, to me, is when it gets at its worst. Right. Well, I have a thought on that in, in a second. But but before I do, though, I, I think the point is, is that if a kid is throwing a temper tantrum, in, let's say there's no physical violence yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just a kid throwing a temper tantrum in a store. Um, I think it's important to get out of your own limbic system for a second, right? Because what, what happens then is our adrenaline starts going up and we start getting in these spirals where we're kind of panicking and we're like, everybody's looking at us. This is so bad. I'm going to fuck up as a parent and my kid's going to throw temper tantrums for the rest of her life and she's going to be 30 and doing this and she's punching people, <laughs> right? And it starts, you get this this anxiety spiral and you start feeling the eyes of everybody and all these older people like staring at you Lord like, Lord. don't you know how to raise a, a kid, Right. Yeah. And your and your lizard brain is in is in fight or flight mode, which is crazy because there is no danger, right? Like the part of your brain that was responding to saber toothed tigers is also <laughs> the part of your brain responding to your kid's temper tantrum. Which, to be right? fair, Grace can resemble a saber toothed tiger. She can. Know. She has but huge yes. canine teeth too, which That's is true. you know part of the issue, she, the size of her neck. Um, but I think that what we have to do is engage our frontal lobe, right? Engage the part of our brain that respond that has regulation capacity, right? So just like ruler, regulation comes after all this other stuff, right? To regulate, you have to kind of get out of your head for a second and think, what is the actual situation that I'm in right now? Like, I am panicking. Is there a reason for it? No. There's no danger that we're in right now. Like, there is no train about to hit us. This is just a shitty situation, and it is part of being a parent that you're going to be in shitty situations sometimes. The worst thing that could happen, right, I mean, aside from the police getting involved or something... <laughs> I think the worst thing that could happen is if you capitulate to that temper tantrum, because then you're just saying, okay, that's how you get what you want, right? Yeah. So you can't do that, but you also, you know, can't just wait there and get yelled at the entire time. So you could just leave 
you know? Right. And I think if you do just leave, then it's a, a big deal for the kid. But also it signals to them that you do have control over this emotional moment as a person. Like, we're just going to leave the environment. We're not going to scream about it. I'm not going to carry you out like a fireman. You know, we're just going to get out of here because you don't control this with your emotional outburst. But in terms of the physical violence, so in our household, we have two zero tolerance things, right? Mm -hmm. We can't lie and we can't hit each other. Those are two things that the boys know we take extremely seriously. And they know that because when those things have happened, which they have happened, there have been like very, very major consequences that we don't budge on. So for example, you know, they were playing video games about a month ago and Jude hit Henry's back because Henry was annoying him. And like, I, I, you know, unplugged everything and I said, you're not playing video games until school starts. And a month went by without any video wow. games at all for them. And uh, they just had to accept that as part of living in the house because we right. don't do that for – we don't have a lot of rules in our household. Yeah. The kids can like curse sometimes. They don't really care about yeah, it. Yeah, they yeah, They can yeah. stay up late. You know, they can have junk food sometimes. Like we're not – you know, we're not crazy with screen time. We live in a house where, you know, the kids yeah. are treated pretty much, you know, like big kids. But, uh, but, but they are not allowed to hit each other and they are not allowed to lie to us. And those are the two things that, you know, things kick into motion. And to me, what, what helps with that – is it allows us to still be somewhat emotionally curious mm. without losing the ability to also be enforcers because as parents like we, it part of our job is sometimes to make sure that certain boundaries aren't crossed you know so that we're raising kids who understand right and wrong in a fundamental way absolutely you know so to me that's like it, it's nice because it means that we can still for lesser things like for a ten, temper tantrum or something like the kids know it's not going to go anywhere they know that we're not going to give into it and they're they know that it's embarrassing so like we might just leave the store Right. But if in the process of that, they also hit somebody, then then we're leaving the store and they don't get to watch television for three yeah, weeks. You know, yeah. Kind of thing. I like that approach. You know, I like the, the few things stand out to me. I mean, first of all, you know, I use that specific example of a store because I think it, it can be it, it is sort of, as you say, the pressure cooker scenario in terms of having it be in a public space. And I over the over the years, you know, I think that's something that I've been a lot more comfortable um, allowing to happen, which is another part that I want to talk about. You know, the way I look at meltdowns now is that it's it's <laughs> it's a release for our kids, right? That is them right. being emotional about something. And so judging it as a negative um, or as some kind of failure is is not doing anyone any good. And so, you know, I really, I've gotten to the point where, um I'm okay with that. I can accept it. And I think you're right that, you know, it's, it's more effective. Um, it's, it's this tricky thing. I was, the reason I'm pausing is because it's not that you're ignoring the behavior, right? Like you're acknowledging it in a way, but what you're not doing is, is sort of, um, you're not elevating it, right? You're not escalating because I think that's an, that's a natural thing where you you see a kid in a meltdown and then you sort of raise your voice or, or try to escalate things to get them to stop with force and that doesn't it doesn't really work I don't think um, and so the idea that we're focused on sort of de-escalation <laughs> uh, as if we're a hostage negotiator <laughs> right um, you know it, it it makes sense to me the other piece that that was mentioned in the research that we're, we're citing here is this notion that emotions are co-regulated yeah i was right? about to bring that up too and yeah. i think that's an important element too so this idea i read in another article on the topic the idea i think they use the term sort of um you, you want to lend some calm right you want to give some calm to your kid in that moment mm. and i love that that notion right that um the calm that we can bring to that 
you know, it certainly is not going to just magically make them feel better. That is not my experience with Grace. In some cases, it almost feels like the calm <laughs> upsets her more because she doesn't feel acknowledged. So it's this tricky thing. But I think by acknowledging, bringing some calm and being firm, you know, because that's the other element of what you're describing. And I, I'm reminded of Brene Brown and this concept of um, having an open heart and a steel spine, <laughs> which I just love, you know, this visual because it's like you want to be firm um, you want also want to be open, right? So it's okay that they're experiencing that emotion. The meltdown, maybe it just has to happen. It's their release. They might be hungry, tired, blah, you know, many times. It's many of those things. Same as we as adults feel. Um, it, they want to be acknowledged. But also, you know, giving in or, or uh, allowing that behavior. See, I don't know. That's not the right word either. But, like, there, there has to be some firm... Um, boundary there especially if there's hitting going on where that's not acceptable and so i guess that's the thing to sort of you know navigate there um and work with <laughs> i don't know it's tricky it's all this stuff is so much easier to just say even if it's at home you know those mm -hmm. meltdowns can be very difficult oh my god it's so much easier to say and of course people listening to this are probably hating us right now because it makes we're sounding like we're some sort of perfect parents yeah, yeah. who aren't governed by our limbic system. The reality is, is at least nine times out of 10, maybe 19 times out of 20, that's not the way it goes, right? Right. The vast majority of times, like last night and the night before and the night before when the kids are having meltdowns, you know, it escalates and I don't do a great job of de-escalating it. And, you know, it ends with like somebody, you know, getting angry, uh, I mean, maybe it doesn't happen every single night that way, of but, course, but, but no, when no. it happens, like most of the times when these situations arise, when we're in public, when we're at a birthday party, it is just like an angry situation. And I feel angry and I, and I takes me a long time to regulate that myself. Um, it's more that like, you know, because we have this show where we can break down things that work for us. That's why we're kind of focusing on this, that when it does work well, oh, yeah. here's what happens when it works well for me. So Jude doesn't throw tantrums anymore because he's too self-conscious now to do it, to do it <laughs> which is kind of a nice benefit of being an eight-year-old. Is, is like, you know, of course, he's embarrassed by everything that we do, but also he's embarrassed by things that he might do. So he, you know, regulates himself. Yeah. But Henry, yeah. you know, is right in the sweet spot where he, you know, he's about to turn five. He feels very much like, uh, you know those tantrums and those frustrations are still, they're still there and they're still, they still come out sometimes. Of course, of course. And with him, similar to Grace, when I counter his tantrum with being kind of strangely calm, it upsets him because he feels unobserved and he feels disempowered and he feels like, you know, he's not getting what he wants and also nobody's listening to him and also he can't express himself right. the way we're not taking seriously we're not taking what it is that they want, right? Which, which by the way, what they want is just the face of it. It's not, we're, we're only right. looking at the surface level. And I right. think that's the tricky part. Right. And what's really happening is what you're saying is something deeper than that. But, you know, neither you nor Grace or nor Henry and me are equipped in that moment to to get there yet. We're not at that stage where we're analyzing it. That's right? right. That's right. So before you get to that stage, you do have to kind of calm the situation down. And so what I do when it works really well with Henry, for example, is I will stay calm and I'll stay somewhat removed from it emotionally, but I will squat down to his eye level and look him in the eyes while I'm doing it. You know, and make right it before really he punches clear. you in the face, <laughs> <laughs> and then I will bite his nose as hard as I can. Um, like I'll get down so that I'm, you know, not taller than him or more yeah, powerful yeah. than he is. I'm right next to him and I'm looking at him and I'm so in tune with what he's saying and I'm disagreeing with it and I'm being calm. Right? That to me is a good way to navigate that if you can. But again, 
it's really hard to do that no, in a I, Home Depot, right? So of course, knows? of course. No, that that holds for me. And and I think, you know, a lot of it does really come back. It really sticks with me this idea of being a, a sort of an emotional scientist um where we're trying to probe into it. And you know what? The reality is that like so much of this um I think we put too much emphasis on in the moment, you know, in the moment of a meltdown or uh, an outburst when in reality, uh, I think there's work to do afterwards, right? If we're, if we're able to get into a space where we're helping our kids ask themselves that question, how do I feel? And then maybe why, right? Like dig deeper. I think that's an important takeaway here. And I want to share, you know, uh, interestingly enough, it just came up a couple days ago for me. Um, I, you know, not like I had this planned, but, but it lined up with this episode. Um, I, we were talking about crying. I can't even remember why. I think Grace was upset about something. And she said to me, um, dad, I've never seen you cry. And, and I thought about that and I was Is like, that true? That, well, that, so that was my initial reaction, right? It was, I was yeah. thinking about this cause like I'll cry, you know, if I hear the grandmother in Moana singing, <laughs> I'm going to start crying. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't, I wouldn't say that I, I don't, but when it comes to like moments that I've cried in front of my kids, I actually like, I stopped about it and thought about it. And she, and I even mentioned, you know, I, I mentioned, um, Hamilton and, uh, you know, there's a song about, uh, well, I don't want to give anything away, but yeah. unimaginable. You know, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and so I mentioned that and she's like, yeah, but that was, you know, you were just sort of tearing up. Um, you weren't really like crying, you know, and she like distinguished that. I thought that was so interesting, right. That she would, she would even distinguish just sort of welling up or whatever. And so I think she she's right. Like I haven't in the way that they cry, right? Where it's an, like an actual good cry. It's not just like a tearing up or choking up kind of right. thing. And it made me really think harder about this notion of, you know, are we giving ourselves permission to feel? And and particularly I'll say as men, are we giving ourselves permission to feel, right? We know this idea that emotions are thought to be um sort of uh what's the word? weakness, right? To be emotional is 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 a weakness. Is is often what we're told or at least what we were told when we were boys, right? That you don't cry and all of this. And I just, it's something I need to spend some more time um, paying attention to if nothing else, if nothing less. But I, you know, I just want to really um, try to probe a little bit more into that myself because I think that will help me better um, help my kids do the same. Yeah, exactly. And it's important to remember that when we say we were told not to cry growing up, it wasn't like my parents were saying that. No, they weren't of course, like men right. don't cry. But society was saying that. And yes. every strong male archetype in every movie, you know, growing up, if they did cry, it was like one heroic tear and then they like, you know, straightened their lip and they got on with the job, right? That that's taught to us as as what men do and how we navigate the world and that there have to be people who are not emotional to be able to be there to fight for the people who are emotional or something like that. And you know, it's it's funny that in terms of breaking down crying in front of the kids, that, I mean, that has barely happened to me, too, because it's barely happened in, in my life. It has happened a few times when I've lost people and things, you know. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, as an adult, I feel like we don't allow ourselves to get to that point almost because it's sort of like, how do we come back from it, right? Well, that's it, because it's like even with our parents, as you just said, it's not like, you know, hopefully your parents didn't tell you, I'm saying this to others listening, um, don't cry. I think there are some who actually, you know, they would say that to a boy. Um, I don't recall my parents ever saying that. However, the thing I try to always, with Luke in particular, is em emphasize is, um, you know, when he has a fall or something happens... I, I almost like encourage him, you know, I don't tell him to cry if he doesn't have to, but I'm like, I, I say, let it out or something like that. Like, 
I think it's a good thing. And, and I don't know that that space was ever created for me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? To really encourage it or at least hold the space for it in a way that is not trying to immediately console it. Right. right. To say like, oh, what's wrong? Let me help you feel better. Right. And, and I get that inclination, of course. But sometimes like I think the act of crying can be good. And I say that, but I know I don't do it, you know, and that's I think. That's interesting, I guess, is all I'm saying, that I don't give myself the space to do that. Um, right. Yeah. Almost because to, to do that as an adult, we have to go through a lot of walls of things that we've put up yeah. to block that, you know? Yes. Um, but I will say something that I love about what Grace said when she was pointing that out is that she was doing what we're talking about in terms of sharing emotions, right? Yes. In terms of like co- co-leading our emotional space together. So she was noticing about you an emotional truth right? She was, and telling you that, she was saying, I observe you emotionally, and I can tell that you don't cry the way that I cry, or, or, or you don't cry the way a kid cries. Why is that? That is something that we don't ever do as Mm-mm. adults with each other, ever. And that's something that it's great that she, you know, said that to you. And you think we should encourage that kind of thing from our kids, because we need to be better about that, about saying like, hey, you know, I noticed that you don't laugh as much as you used to, mm. you know? Or I haven't seen you cry in a long time. Or um, you seem like you're kind of angry a lot. Can we talk about like what's going on with that? Like, is there is there a way where you can let me in a little bit and I can share some of my peace with you or I can share some of my joy with you or I can learn about joy that you had in your life that you feel you don't have anymore and we can talk about that together and open that crack back up again. Because uh, if we don't do that, it, we don't have the ability to do this on our own. You know, in, in the bracket interview, he's talking about the CEO of a company who said, you know, what do I care what everybody else feels like? At the end of the day, they're going to do what I'm telling them to do because I'm their boss. Right. Right. And that is a obviously super patriarchal way to look at the world. And it's a way that, you know, much of Wall Street, et cetera, has gotten by on for a long time. But, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky to work in an environment where those norms are changing really actively. Yeah. And where people are checking in with each other and checking out with each other at the ends of meetings. Right. And where people are, you know, we have little support groups like that men identified group that I was talking about or like a parenting group that I have with friends at work where we just sort of talk about these issues that come up and we check in with each other and we say, you know, I I can tell you're feeling different. Like, what's up with that? You know, and Mm -hmm. that little moment of being seen is so important for us as humans. And it's so important for us in our shared emotional journey together. So I, I really hope you know, people listening to this, if you take nothing else away from it, I would say just take away the fact that we should be checking in with each other more often and being open to share with each other more often. And look at that through an emotional lens because so much, you know, I think about knowledge that we build over time and how we have conversations with our kids about things they learned at school, right? Math and English and reading and all this, but like to really think about emotions in that way, to become right. more intelligent, right? To, to build your ability to understand your own emotions and other people's. Um, I think it will help us all navigate this world more effectively. So yeah, looking forward to applying some of this. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for the chat. Thank you, my friend. How are you feeling? See you all soon. I'm, I'm feeling good. How are you feeling? <laughs> I feel great. Yeah, I feel like it's an important thing to talk about. I, we probably should be using words other than I feel good. And I, feel I feel good. Yeah, I feel yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel great. I feel, We've clearly learned I feel a lot. content. I feel filled. I feel <laughs> honestly hungry because I haven't had lunch yet and I just ran before this. You should but go other eat. than that, You'll feel I better. also feel fulfilled. And I feel like we're at the beginning of a conversation that should stretch out a little bit more and should maybe you know involve not just somebody from the center coming and talking with us, but also other groups of friends and things to check in with because... This space to me has always been a place where I've gotten to do that. 
out loud. Oh, hundred percent. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, we should invite others in to to do it too. You know? So I I'm like feeling it. I'm feeling hopeful. All right, but mostly we'll talk hungry. To you. Talk to you again soon. <laughs> All right, talk to you more. Bye. Bye.